podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Friday, the 5th of May. We're through another weekend, another week, rather, and at the weekend. And this weekend is obviously special for all of those of you in the UK because you get to stand in line and salute your new king. Well, from those of us this side of the pond, in the words of Celtic fans, you can stick your coronation up your arse. Um, speaking of Celtic, make sure you're checking out the Boise Bus, part of the EPL Index podcast network now. The lads are doing great work and they have a very special guest lined up. So make sure you keep an eye on that. It will be of interest to Celtic 
and Liverpool fans, I think fans of football in general, keep an eye out for that one. Last night in the Premier League, Manchester United went to Brighton and as I predicted, they lost. Now, they didn't lose in the manner I thought they'd lose. It took a last-minute penalty from Alexis McAllister to give Brighton the three points. And by last minute, I do, of course, mean the 99th minute. It was a good game of football. It was end-to-end. United played some decent stuff. Brighton played some excellent football. There was chances for both teams. United could have gone ahead through Rashford. Brighton created some good openings, but unfortunately just couldn't find that final ball at times. But on the balance of play, I don't think you could deny that Brighton deserved the win. Luke Shaw started at centre-back and, to be fair to him, had a really good game again. He is much better defensively in that role than Lissandra Martinez. And United are a better defensive team with him there than they are with Martinez. But it was him who, from a set piece, just a foolish, foolish error, put his arm up as he jumped, slapped the ball, wasn't seen in real time, VAR spotted it. Andre Mariner went to the screen, had a look and gave the penalty And Alexis stepped up and with the final kick of the game, with everybody focused on him, with all the pressure of three points or simply a draw, he put it in the top corner like it was nothing. That kid has nerves of steel. He is an an outstanding player. He was magnificent in the game, as were a number of his teammates, most notably Caicedo, who played his first career game at right back. And just casually dropped an 8 out of 10 like it was absolutely nothing to him. What a player. What a ridiculous player. Uh, Same goes for Alexis. Two magnificent players. Unfortunately, Brighton will probably lose both of them this summer, which is such a shame. But that is the nature of the beast, I'm afraid. Um, So three points for Brighton. What that does for them is it moves them up to sixth. They're now... Eight points behind Manchester United with a game in hand. They're four behind Liverpool with two games in hand. So as things stand, fifth place is in their own hands. And they're the team who could potentially take advantage of any slip-ups by Manchester United or Newcastle. Their run-in is not easy by any stretch. Uh, They have Everton next. That should be a win at home. That should be a comfortable win. Then they go to Arsenal. That will be difficult. Then they go to Newcastle. That will be difficult. You'd expect them to beat Southampton comfortably, but they finish with Man City home and Aston Villa away. So there is four very difficult games in that run. If they could take... They took eight points from that run of six games. I think they'd be happy. And I think... A return of 63 points on the season would be very impressive for Brighton and will pretty much, I think, guarantee them a spot in the Europa League next season, not just the Conference League. And it would leave Spurs and Villa battling for that last last, um, Conference League spot. The reason I say 63 should be enough is because To better that, both Villa and Tottenham would need to take 
would need to take 10 points from their remaining four games. And I don't know that I trust either of them to do it. It would need to be 10 because Brighton have a significantly better goal difference. Nine will get them to 63, but Brighton would beat them on goal difference. And that's, I think, lowballing what Brighton could get. Because I do think they could pick up a win, maybe at Arsenal, maybe at Villa Park. But I'm really excited to see how they end this season. I think they've been brilliant all year. Uh, For United, it is yet another away defeat against one of the top teams, which has become, I suppose, one of the defining factors of their season. Uh, Against the current top nine, United have played away from home eight times. They got walloped by Brentford, walloped by City, comfortably beaten by Villa, beaten by Arsenal, massacred by Liverpool. The 2-0 win by Newcastle in no way reflected the dominance of Newcastle in that game. They drew with Spurs 2-2 and they lost to Brighton last night. So one point against the other teams in the top eight this year. They did beat Fulham away, so four points against the teams in the top half, away from home. That is appalling. And I saw it said last night that if if Liverpool, Spurs and Chelsea were not having such dreadful campaigns by their own standards, uh, well, for Spurs and Chelsea, I think they're dreadful by a lot of standards – for Liverpool, it's by their own standards that they might end up fifth. That's just really bad for where they should be. But if any of them were having a decent season, they would comfortably be ahead of United right now. This United team are not good. They play a fairly turgid brand of football. They play the deepest defensive line in the league. They've only scored 49 goals on the season, which is the... Eighth best in the league. The eighth best attack when you've got Marcus Rashford, 70 million Sancho, 80 million Anthony, Bruno Fernandez, Anthony Martial. I know he's missed time, but he's been there for a chunk of the season as well. You've got Christian Eriksen, you've got Marcel Sabitzer, you've got Garnacho, you've got all these players you've told us are top drawer, and you've scored 49 goals in the league this season. Now, 49 goals wouldn't be so bad if they had conceded like 20. But they haven't. They've conceded 40. City have conceded less. Arsenal have conceded less. Newcastle have conceded a lot less. Brighton have conceded the same number. Liverpool have been a train wreck defensively and play probably the highest, most reckless line in the league and have only conceded two more while scoring 17 more. Chelsea have conceded less goals than United, and they're 12th. That is... I've said this before. Ten Hag was brought in because they thought he was going to be the next Guardiola, and he was going to bring that type of football to the club. But after the beating by Brighton on the opening day, that's the the double, by the way, Brighton have done over United this season. Uh, After that, that... losing that game and then getting hammered by Brentford. He abandoned the high line. He abandoned the possession football and he resorted to something that we have seen from United in recent years, which is a deep defensive block, 
panic station defense defending, all hands to the pump, and then counterattack and hope that Bruno and Rashford can carry you. That's the style of football that Oli played. And if you remember, Oli got second in the league a couple of years ago with a worse team than this. And then they signed Sancho Varane and Cristiano and told us all they were going to compete for the title. But yet now, when they've gone and spent further on on Anthony, they brought in Casemiro, they spent a huge amount of money on Martinez. Now we're meant to believe that Ten Hag is producing miracles, that this is some great overachievement. And I had a very silly young chap who has his own YouTube tell me that, well, look at what he did in the Cups. All right, let's look at what he did in the Cups. Um, FA Cup, third round, home to Everton, currently 19th in the Premier League, getting relegated unless something changes for them. Fourth round, home to Reading, getting relegated from the Championship. Fifth round, home to West Ham United, currently 15th in the league. Quarterfinals, home to Fulham, who were winning the game until two of their players got sent off. Semi-finals, Brighton, they got outplayed, they won on penalties. Fair play. Let's have a look then at the League Cup. Third round. Home to Aston Villa. At the time, Unai Emery was only in the door. Villa were in the bottom six of the league. Fourth round, home to Burnley, championship team. Quarterfinals, home to Charlton Athletic, league one team. Semi-finals, Nottingham Forest in a two-legged affair. The only away game United played in either run. The only away game. They played Nottingham Forest, currently 18th in the Premier League and going down unless something changes for them. And then they played Newcastle in the final with Nick Pope suspended. With a goalkeeper who hadn't played in nearly two years. Like, please, if this is what you're hanging your hat on, you're going to be in for disappointment. Because Ollie finished second. Mourinho, in his first season, won the Europa League, which, by the way, a couple of weeks ago, United claimed they were on for a treble. And then they ran into Sevilla and got their arses kicked. Jose won that competition. He also won the League Cup. Nobody thinks you're going to beat City in the final of the FA Cup. In fact, many people believe that you might just get walloped in that final. So, you know, wouldn't be getting too excited about the cup runs. It's great to have had them. It's nice to have a bit of silverware. First bit of silverware you've had in some time. But let me just track back a little bit of time to last season, where Liverpool won both, both domestic cups. And United fans said they were meaningless. Meaningless. But now, 
now the proof of Ten Hag's genius. Because you see, it takes genius to spend over two hundred million pounds and then play some of the worst football in the league. What a strange club. We had championship action last night as well. Huddersfield won. Sheffield United nil. Neil Warnock, to his credit, has done a really good job since taking over. They've played horrible football, but he's gotten the results. And that win last night confirms Huddersfield in the championship for next season and condemned Reading to relegation. So Reading, Blackpool and Wigan, farewell, enjoy League One. Cardiff, Rotherham, QPR, Huddersfield, you're all safe. You don't need to worry. The only thing we've we've left to find out in the championship now is who finishes fifth and who finishes sixth. That's what the games which take place on Monday are all about. All 3 p.m. kickoffs on Monday and we will find out who is joining Luton and Middlesbrough in the playoffs. Uh, We had massive, massive news in Serie A last night as Napoli were confirmed as league champions. A 1-1 draw away to Udinese. Lovric had put Udinese 1 up, but Victor Osterman, who else? Scored on 52 minutes to give Napoli the point they need and confirm them as league champions. And that, my friends, is a glorious thing because this team has been built the right way. This team have played the right way. They've been one of the most entertaining teams in Europe to watch all season. From a club who not all that long ago went out of business. Not all that long ago. They were shut down and nobody knew what the future of this club held. 2004 declared bankrupt. The club had to be refounded. They had to start off in Serie C1 and work their way back up the pyramid. And they've had a bunch of near misses. But when Luciano Spalletti was appointed, that was the beginning of something. And he, like them, has had a bunch of near misses across his career. He's always been the bridesmaid, never the bride in Serie A. But now he can call himself a Serie A champion. And that's a fantastic thing. His teams play really good football. They always have. I know a lot of people think he's too abrasive, too arrogant, whatever. But Aurelio Delornitis has got to take enormous credit here. This guy picked Napoli up out of the trash, reformed them, rebuilt them, and brought them back up to Syria, kept them in Syria, brought them into the Champions League, and step by step by step, they worked their way to this moment, to winning a league championship for Napoli, for the city of Naples, for a collective of people who've been downtrodden and spat on and whatever by their more affluent cousins in the north, 
there's a lot of comparisons to be made between the city of Naples, the people of Naples and the football club of Naples to the city of Liverpool, the people of Liverpool and the club of Liverpool. And it's great to see their third title in their history. The previous two obviously were won with Diego Maradona. And the only sad part about this is that Diego wasn't still alive to see it because he would have reveled in this. He would have adored this team. They played football the way he liked to see it played. I couldn't be happier for any club to have had this success. And I think huge credit has to go to their recruitment staff, their talent spotters. Think of this. In the summer, Insignia, Dries Mertens and Kaladu Koulibaly, three icons of Napoli, three legends left. They got no fee for Mertens. They got no fee for Insignia. Fabian Ruiz left. David Ospina, who'd been there a while, left. Fozzie Goulam left. Arcadius Millick left. And they went out and they were aggressive. And they targeted players that they believed could elevate them to the next level. Matthias Oliveri from Atafe, 11 million. When he's played this season, he has been excellent. Zambo Anguisa, 15 million euro. Was there on loan last season. They made it permanent. He has not made them regret it at all. That has turned out to be a bargain. He has been brilliant. Leo Ostegaard, 5 million from Brighton. Hasn't played a bunch, but when he's been called upon, he's come in and been solid. Kim Min-Jae, 18 million euro. He's established himself as one of the best centre-backs in Europe. Giovanni Simeone, loan with an option to buy. He's been really good when they've needed. They've needed a backup for Osman, someone that can spell him, someone that can play when he's not available. And Giovanni Simeone has never let them down. Tangai Endembele discarded by Spurs, brought in on loan. When he's been called on, he has done exactly what they've needed. And if I'm Spurs, I'm wondering about bringing him back next year because I think there's a world in which an, an Endombele-Basuma partnership in midfield does very, very well for them. Giacomo Raspadori brought in on loan with an obligation to buy from Sassuolo. Hasn't been a starter all season, but has been one of the key contributors in that attack. In January, they went out and they bought Berezinski, got him on loan, I think with an option to buy, uh, to be a back of right back so that they could have cover in that position. Again, hasn't played a whole bunch. Might not have played more than, I don't even know how much, I don't even know how often he's played. Couple of games. Couple of games can't be any more than a couple of games, but this guy is an experienced operator at right back who does the job you ask him to do. Nothing more, doesn't do anything fancy. He's never going to win any awards for being, you know, the best player in a team, but he actually hasn't played at all. I could have sworn he'd played a couple of games. No, he hasn't played at all. He'll be there for next year, though. Golini brought in from Atalanta on loan. He's done nothing for them, obviously, because he hasn't had to play, but 
he's a solid backup goalkeeper. One league game. He's a solid goalkeeper. He'll be fine as their backup. But the big one is Kavica Kvalachkelia. 10 million euro. 10 million euro. Last seen playing in the Georgian League. Now, obviously, he made his name with Ruben Kazan in the Russian League. He'd been at Dinamo Tbilisi. He'd gone to Rostavi. He'd earned a move to Lokomotiv Moscow on loan. For some unknown reason, they decided not to pick up the chance to buy him. He went to Ruben Kazan and he impressed everybody. Then he went to Dinamo Batumi um, as a result of the the invasion of Ukraine. He was allowed to leave. His contract with Ruben was suspended. He goes on to Batumi, does well there, tears the, the league apart, in fairness. And Napoli decide, right, let's take a chance. They get him for €10 million. Euro. He has been one of the best players in Europe this season. 14 goals in 37 games in all competitions, 18 and 28 in the league. That doesn't even begin to tell the story of his impact on this team. His ability to carry the ball, to create opportunities, the big penalties he took and scored, the set-piece delivery was outrageous all season. 12 goals and 12 assists in 29 games now. 14 and 16 in 38 in all competitions. Lit up the Champions League, lit up Serie A. Football has a new burgeoning superstar. And his name is Kvitsa Kvalachkelia. Get that printed on your shirt. It'll cost you a fortune. Um, I, I couldn't be happier for Napoli. Genuinely, I, I'm absolutely thrilled. Club I've always liked because of Maradona. You know my my love of Diego. Uh, and like I said, the only sad thing about it is he's not here to actually celebrate it because he would have loved this team. He never, ever broke his link with the city. And the city never broke their link with him. And the scenes in that city last night. Go on YouTube, go on TikTok, go on Twitter, go on Facebook, wherever it is, Instagram. Go and find videos of the celebrations in Napoli last night. They're absolutely amazing scenes. Thrilled. Right, let's move on. Uh, Everton. Premier League strugglers in talks over new investment. Well, we'll wait and see. They've talked to MSP Capital Partners. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they have invested in a number of other a number of other um, sports franchises. And the other one that has been linked is 777 Partners. And again, they have invested in a number of other clubs. It seems to be that most of the funding they're trying to source is to pay for this new stadium. Um, Everton have posted losses of £430 over the last five years. They are facing... An investigation into breaches of the financial fair play rules. 
The Premier League's rules allow for maximum losses of 105 million over a three-year period. Everton included 170 million in losses for COVID, which nobody believed to be true. But they were allowed to write off a bunch of extra money that they were never going to make anyway. Their stadium, which is to have a capacity of less than 53,000, is scheduled to be completed for the start of 24-25. The costs have increased from 500 million to about 760 million. Now, obviously, the cost of building supplies has gone up globally, but that's a shambles. Uh, Chris Gunter has called an end to his playing career. He won 109 caps for Wales, which is an absolutely incredible achievement. Uh, he's only 33 as well, so he's probably leaving a little bit of meat in the bone, but always better to leave a party a little bit too early than a little bit too late. I uh, came through the Cardiff Academy, had an unsuccessful spell at Spurs, had a good spell at Nottingham Forest, was there for three years, four including alone, uh, then spent the largest chunk of his career with Reading, played for Charlton for two years, and spent this past season uh, with AFC Wimbledon, where he has uh, he's helped them kind of survive and, and get through a difficult season. But 109 caps for Wales is a hell of an innings. Congrats to him. Congrats on the career. I think it's it's a very, very impressive career. Was once voted Welsh Footballer of the Year in 2017 as well, which if we have a look at the other players voted um, Welsh Footballer of the Year, Gareth Bale had won it in six of the previous seven seasons. Uh, David Brooks won it the season after. So, you know, fair play to uh, Chris Gunter, was also voted the PFA Team of the Year for the 2009-10 championship season. Uh, the Copa del Rey final is set, and it will be Osasuna taking on Real Madrid. Um, the whole world should want to watch Osasuna play in a cup final and hopefully win a cup final because what an achievement it would be for a club that are, I mean, I suppose they're the third biggest club in the Basque country, maybe the fourth. They're from Pamplona, which is the third biggest city, but I don't know they're the third biggest clubs. You've obviously got Athletic Bilbao. You've obviously got Real Sociedad. They're the two big ones. I don't know if... Is there another... Let's have a look at what Basque clubs are out there. Um, I mean, Alaves, I would say Osasuna, probably about the same size as them. Ibar, yeah, they're a bigger club than Ibar. Yeah, to be fair, they're probably the third biggest club in the Basque country. So for them to win something would be would be a great achievement. And um, the Basques always love sticking it to to Real anyway. So yeah, we'll 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 roll with that. Uh, the City Football Group have expanded their portfolio even further. 
they have brought uh, bought a stake in Bahia in Brazil. Um, they say they want to help Brazilian football grow financially. Uh, this is nothing more than an easier way to get a pipeline into Brazilian football. They've acquired a 90% stake. Man City, New York City FC, Melbourne City, Yokohama F. Marinos, Girona, Sichuan Genu, Mumbai City, Lamel, Troyes, Palermo, Montevideo City, and Bolivar. That is the that is the portfolio now. Look, I don't know whether it's good or bad for football. It's not for me to say, but I do know that I don't believe they're good for football. That's what I'll say. Um, there's a, a really good story on the BBC, BBC website I want to point your attention to. It's called Around the 92 in the 1980s. A tour of the lost world of football league stadiums, written by Giles Goford. And this is absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Give this a read. The, some of the pictures that he has included in this article are just amazing. Things that are no longer there. Stadiums that have been demolished and are long gone. Or have been modernised. Uh, he does wear a rather questionable rugby shirt. I will warn you. It will be very loud. You won't hear anything else while looking directly at this shirt. But glance away and your hearing will come back to normal. Um, but yeah, it's just... It's incredible. I, I, I really must insist everybody go and read this piece. It's really well done. It's really clever. And go right to the end and look at the picture of the Port Vale FC sign and the young boy standing underneath it in a denim jacket. Continue to roll down and you will just see the new Port Vale sign and a, I don't know, middle-aged, I think he's probably middle-aged at this point, a gentleman wearing a denim jacket. Uh, do check that out. Check out this story. It is it's brilliant, and the pictures right at the very very end are incredible. Uh, you've got let's see, Aston Villa, Barnsley, Birmingham, Blackburn. I'm not sure where the, I think that's Bournemouth, uh, Blackpool, Brentford, Burnley, Chester. It's it's absolutely incredible. Check this out. This is amazing. Some of the old entrances that you just wouldn't associate with a modern club now. Because it was things were just so different back then. Scarborough, Scunthorpe, goes to Hillsborough, Southampton down at the Dell, Swansea's old stadium. Like most of these stadiums are long, long gone. There's this is he's got two pictures of White Hart Lane. And for anyone that was at White Hart Lane before it was demolished, you won't even recognize it from these pictures because it had been modernized so much. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Make sure you read that. Right. 
Uh, gossip. Newcastle's owners are interested in signing Neymar. I wouldn't believe a word that Graham Bailey told me if I gave him Veritaserum. So, no, I'm not having that one. Uh, that has Todd Bowley written all over it, though. Chelsea are among the... Key, this, the Chelsea are among the clubs keen to sign Lionel Messi. I'm I'm sure he's signing up for the the Todd Bowley ex- experience. Definitely. Wolves could offer thirty million plus Ruben Neves for Ansu Fati. If Wolves could pull that off, that would be one of the great signings in history, because that's one of the more talented kids in world football. Now he does have injury issues and his knee might be a bit cropped but he is he is spectacular Barcelona have turned their attention to signing Sofian Amrabat which could boost Arsenal's hopes of signing Martin Zubimendi Manchester United are making good talks sorry making good progress in talks over a new contract for Marcus Rashford in hope of pairing him with Harry Kane Arsenal and Aston Villa are among the clubs tracking Ferran Torres. Aston Villa are considering a move for Dusan Vlavic as well as Torres. I don't believe they're going to be considering a move for Dusan Vlavic personally. I certainly don't think he'd consider that move. And nothing against Villa. I've been one of the biggest Villa bandwagon pushers since they came up, but they're not getting Vlavic. Former Spain and Liverpool midfielder Xabi Alonso has been linked with the managerial job at Spurs, but he says he's 100% focused on Bayer Leverkusen. Far, far, far too early for him to go to Spurs. Man City and Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva and Crystal Palace's French winger Michael Alise are among the players that PSG are interested in. Um, They said they wanted to sign young French players. Alise is English, but he plays for the French national team. Uh, Alise would be a great signing. He, he's outrageously talented. Uh, Bernardo Silva would not really make a whole lot of sense for them. Brighton are confident of signing James Milner, while Liverpool have stepped up their bid to sign Alexis McAllister. Fulham will demand more than £50 million for Joe Polina. Now, Joe Polina is really good, but he'll be 28 this summer. And Liverpool, among others, turned the nose up at signing him for £20 million last summer. It would be stupid to sign him. Newcastle are well-placed to sign Kefren Turam. Yeah, I mean, could happen, for sure. Alan St. Maximin has been linked with leaving Newcastle, but the Tyneside club are not looking to sell, although that stance could change with a bid over £40 million. Newcastle have had Dominic Zaboslai and Amadou Hydera who both play for RB Leipzig, watched by scouts a number of times this season. Um, Dominic is incredible. Hydera, he hasn't really worked out there. He's a good player, but when he joined Leipzig, the expectation was he'd be a year, maybe two years, and he'd be sold at a huge profit, and it just never happened. Prospective Chelsea manager Maurizio Pochettino will give Romelu Lukaku another chance to establish himself when the 29-year-old Belgian returns from his loan at Inter Milan. Harvey Barnes could follow James Madison by leaving Leicester this summer with Newcastle, Tottenham and Aston Villa all tracking him. He's definitely not going down anyway, so that's if, if they get relegated, he's definitely leaving. 
Reese Nelson has rejected the first new contract proposal made by Arsenal. If he's only getting his first new contract proposal now on in May, he needs to leave because they don't really want to keep him. <clears throat> West Ham are concerned about losing Czech Republic midfielder Thomas Suchek this summer. Why would you be concerned about that? He's been awful for 18 months. You should be looking to sell him this summer and sell Rice and take the money you get from them, which will be 80 million for Rice and probably 25 maybe for Suchek, maybe 30, and go and buy yourself three really good midfielders and move on from those two. Man City are close to finalising new contract for Rico Lewis. That's important. Republic of Ireland centre-half Andrew Omabamadeli has attracted interest from Nice and AC Milan and is rated by his club at 20 million. Omabamadeli is really good. I, I would very sneakily take him at Liverpool as a backup to Ibu Kanate. But I'm not going to say it too loudly because I, I think people might go, oh, what are you buying a player from Norwich for? You're idiots. Uh, West Ham have identified Paolo Fonseca as a potential replacement for David Moyes. Um, yeah, he's a good manager. Yeah, I wouldn't have wouldn't have a, a, any real gripe with that. He's he's a good manager. Could be interesting there, actually. Right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be joined by the returning Mr. Guy Drinkle. So we'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, fresh off the plane, trying to readapt to living in the Great White North, having spent two weeks on the surface of the sun, Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? It has been tonking it down all afternoon, Dave. Yes, it's absolutely lashing here as well. I have been keeping people up to date with the weather here because, you know, that's the content they choose they tune in for. Uh, rain all day today, tomorrow and Sunday. My big hope, Guy, is that it absolutely pisses rain all over that coronation. That's my big hope for the weekend. If I get that, I'm happy. As long as it ruins someone's day who's camped there for about two weeks, it'll be, make my day. Can, um, I, can, can I just ask? Can I yeah. just, what sort of upbringing did you get? That you're sitting or camping in London on the side of a road since Wednesday, dressed head to toe in Union Jack paraphernalia, talking about how it's okay for Prince Andrew to be at the uh, coronation, despite the fact that he has done what he's done. And it's not okay for Prince Harry, who is the son of the fella being coronated, to be there. Yeah. He he didn't... I'm not accepting, well, he didn't publicly slander his family as an excuse. The guy did utterly reprehensible things 
paid an enormous settlement fee. And I saw some really, really foolish woman who had Canadian flags wrapped around her neck, and I assume was Canadian. It'd be a terrible thing if the wind caught them and, and strangled her. But she said, oh, he probably just paid the settlement to get it out of the news. Yeah, yeah he probably <laughs> did just pay to get it out of the news. Because, you know, who wants to have the story of them being connected to Jeffrey Epstein and being involved in what he was involved in out there in the public? Who wants that? Get to fuck. Right. Rant over. Back to the football. What have we got? Well, speaking of rain, we have a Chelsea game. Um, Bournemouth against Chelsea, Dave. The battle for, just to, just to be specific, the battle for 12th. Yes, the battle for 12th. I mean, um, when you when you spend yeah. $600 million, that is the aim, isn't it? Is to finish above Bournemouth. Like, that, that's what you're really setting out to do. Yes. Um, I mean, look, Chelsea are... They're a very easy and very fun punching bag at the moment. Their their owner is a clown. Their manager is like not even a full time PE teacher. He's like the guy who, you know, helps the PE teacher. You know, he's in on like a, a, a work placement scheme. And the PE teacher's away doing something else or on holiday or something. And now this fella's been asked to fill in six games, six defeats, a remarkable run from Frank. The football is woeful. The team selections are baffling and they look completely lost. But, 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 as I've said a couple of times, I do think the path for Chelsea to title contention is is actually fairly clear. It is just going to take time and patience. First thing you've got to do is appoint a real football manager. You had Thomas Tuchel. You made a huge mistake letting him go. It looks like it's going to be Pochettino, and he qualifies as a real football manager. So you get him in, and you just let him work with the squad. You, you sign no more than three players this summer. You need a goalkeeper, you need a ball winner, and you need a goal scorer. They don't have to be big names. They don't have to be mega signings. David Rea, Florentino Luis, and Jonathan David would do those jobs. Don't sign anybody then for two years. Not a soul. Maybe some kids. That's fine. Sign 16 and 17 year olds and bung them into your academy. Allow the team to develop and grow together. You've got pretty much the rest of this squad set. You've got immense young talent. You've got the best academy in Europe. Start making use of that. And then in two years, which will be 2025, maybe do, you know, one signing a season, maybe two. But you're not going to need to do massive amounts because 
you'll have your team and you'll be a contender. And maybe in two years you go and you buy the big money number nine. Maybe that's what you do. Or maybe Brohia has developed into that. Or maybe Jonathan David has kicked it up a couple of levels and he's that guy getting you 25 in the Premier League. Because he's got the capability and the talent. That's the path for them. The path till the end of the season is probably losing a bunch more games. And Fat Frank has had himself quite the season. Uh, I saw a recent poll. This was sent to me on Twitter. Somebody put this together. It was actually an article that was put together. Um, Shamik sent it on to me. Put together by Football365. They ranked all 40 managers who have managed in the Premier League this season. Okay. So starting at number 40, Frank Lampard. Mm. 39 is Scott Parker. 38 is Gerrard. 37 is Stellini. 36, Frank Lampard. (laughs) (laughs) Magnificent. He's in the bottom five twice. He's so bad. He's below Nathan Jones, who might... Who I missed yesterday when I was listing the worst managers in Premier League history. Frank Lampard is the worst manager in Premier League history. And if he gets another job off the back of this, off the back of the failure at Everton, the failure at Chelsea the first time, and the failure at Derby, uh, we will need to start questioning whether he's actually paying these clubs to allow him to work there. On the flip side, Bournemouth are in really good form. Bournemouth have completely turned their season on its head. And when all looked lost and it looked like they were potentially going to find themselves heading for a return journey into the championship, Gary O'Neill has started to get results again. And we saw this early in the season. They beat Villa. They lost three in a row. Gary O'Neill took over. They went unbeaten in six. But then it all fell apart. They lost four in a row. They beat Frank Lampard's Everton. They also beat them in the Cup. Then they went to the World Cup break. They came back out. They lost four in a row. They didn't win any of the next three either with two draws in there. But since going, sorry, since getting the draw at home to Newcastle, things have turned around and turned around drastically. They went to Wolves and beat them. They lost to City. They lost to Arsenal. That's fine. Most teams lose to them. They beat Liverpool. They lost to Villa. Villa were on one of the best runs in the league. And after City and Arsenal have probably been the third best team in the in the league since uh, Unai Emery took over. Actually, not probably, had been the third best team in the league since Emery took over. So that's no problem. Then they beat Fulham. They lose to Brighton. That's fine. Brighton are really good. They go to Leicester and win. They go to Tottenham and win. They get walloped by West Ham, which is really disappointing because West Ham are awful. But then they bounce back by beating Southampton and destroying Leeds. So they have completely turned things around and they're going to be safe when it looked not all that long ago like they were going down. After the defeat to Arsenal, they were bottom of the league, below Southampton. But they've won six of their last nine and they're safe, which is an incredible turnaround. So credit to Gary O'Neill. Credit to his staff, credit to the owners that spent the money in the January window. And I think they get something this weekend. I don't think they'll win 
I think at at some point Chelsea have to get a point under Lampard. Lampard. Mm. Now, they have to. They they have to. They can't lose 11 in a row, surely. Dave, I watched a few games whilst I was on holiday and he was playing (laughs) Kukurea up front or something. He was. He was playing... Was it Gallagher and Kukurea up front? Gallagher, Kante and Kukurea supporting the forward player. Which was just wonderful. He called it, and I quote, the big energy lineup. <laughs> yeah, that's what he called it. Um, right, they, they've got Bournemouth. They get Nottingham Forest at home next, and they better win that one. Because if they don't, they're getting walloped by City. United will beat them at Old Trafford, and I think Newcastle will hammer them as well. So if they don't win one of these games against Bournemouth or Forest, I, I mean, <laughs> Christ, who else can catch them? Let's have a quick gander. Who else can catch them? Wolves could catch them. West Ham in theory could, but I don't think they'll get six more points. Well, actually, it would only take, might only take five more points. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say that they probably, probably finish... 13th, <laughs> which is awful. That maybe, maybe 14th, depending on Wolves. Wolves have a tough enough run in, though, but they do get Everton, so they'll probably win that. Um, oh, what a disaster. I, I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to be a coward, and I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. And it better be 1-1 for Chelsea's sake, because if if Brentford, uh, sorry, if Bournemouth score twice, it's over. It's over. Chelsea aren't capable of scoring twice in the game. It's over if they get if Bournemouth get two. Get two and you've won. There's the message. But I'll go 1-1. One, one. Yeah, just go all out attack because they will miss every sh- chance they get. If they do get a chance. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I just realised there's no early kickoff. But we have a three o'clock kickoff because it, the blackout doesn't matter on special weekends. Um, Man City against... Pause for dramatic effect. Sam Allardyce's lead. Yes, this is... Uh, Something, Dave. Um, I don't know how to word this, but I feel like I feel like Le- Leeds are either going to win in the worst game of football you've ever seen, or Man City will win seventeen nil. If City score early, first fifteen minutes, this is going to be a bloodbath. This is going to end up potentially with Sam just throwing his arms up in the air and going home after this one. Um. I, look, City come into the game top of the league, pretty much at full strength. De Bruyne is back, everybody's fit, things are rolling for them. Uh, Leeds, no Liam Cooper, looks like he's done for the season. Looks like Sinistera is done for the season. Dallas is out. Tyler Adams probably done for the season. I don't see how Leeds get anything here. I'm just going to say City win 4-0 and move on. This this screams Erling Haaland hat-trick to me. So we'll just leave it at that, I think. Uh, yeah, Bamford scoring four, Dave. I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, that is on TV in the UK. That's on Sky Sports because blackout rule doesn't matter. Um, Spurs against Palace, Dave. Um I see Spurs didn't change whilst I was away. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no. perish the thought. They actually, just, 
But Crystal they might Palace have got worse while you're away. Yes, I think they did. But Crystal Palace seemingly did change all sorts of it. Yeah, Palace have been playing good stuff. They have been playing good stuff. Roy has them confident. He has them winning games. They've won, I think, four of the six games he's been in charge. They're they're safe. They have nothing to worry about. That can also lead to complacency, though. And Spurs haven't won any of their last four. And they're going to need to start picking up points if they want to get into Europe next year because Brighton have now overtaken them and have a game in ha- two games in hand on them. Liverpool have overtaken them, same number of games played. They're level in points with Villa, who are in much better form. Do um, Spurs want Europe, though, Dave? I don't know is the honest answer. Um, it's easier probably to attract some players if you've got it, but if you're looking to rebuild and you're looking to make an assault on the top four again, it might be easier not to have it, especially that Conference League nonsense, which is what they'll likely end up in if they do get but Europe. Say they get Nagelsmann, who we know is a... How do I say this without swearing? A tactical, let's go with that. Um, if you give him all the training time possible where he's not going to mould over mm. on Thursdays and stuff like that. Then he that benefits hugely. Yeah, 100%. Anyone, look, that's the thing. Any manager coming in is going to, they're going to have to play wing backs. Simple as that. And, and when Spurs are looking at managers, they have to look at managers to play with a back three and wing backs because there's not a full back other than Emerson Royale, there's not a fullback worthy of the name at the club. So you, you've got to play a back three, but that also means you've got to go and buy two new centre-backs, by the way, Tottenham. The thing is, you bring them in, they're going to want to integrate their style, their patterns, their fundamentals, their their beliefs into the team. And as you said, that's much easier if you're not traipsing around Europe, especially in you know the Conference League, which... Look, it sounds great, but if you win it all, you get is a spot in the Europa League. And Spurs want to be a Champions League club. That's the simple fact of it. That's what they want. That's their aim, is to be a Champions League club. Um, I, I, I think they might be better off missing out altogether, to be totally honest with you. But I think they might win this game. Going into it, Spurs have no Hugo Lloris. He's done for the season. Uh, I don't think he's injured. I don't think he's injured. That's my belief. It doesn't take two weeks to get the results of a scan. So I don't think he's injured. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon done for the season. Yves Basuma, they're hopeful he'll be back the last game of the season. Emerson Real could be back the last game of the season. Uh, Ollie Skip has a boo-boo. He should be fine. And um, Rodrigo Bentoncourt is out for the season. For Palace... No, uh, Klein is back. Zaha's fine. Ferguson's out. Tompkins is out. Ahamada is out. Probably going to miss the rest of the season. And James McArthur probably misses the rest of the season as well. He's missed most of the season. I'm going to say Spurs win this one 2 1. I, I, Kane is still in good form. Son has found a bit of form of late. I think they'll feel aggrieved by how they lost at Anfield. And I think they might get a bit of reaction here. I'll go 2 1 to Spurs. Yeah, they've got a click at some point in this running. Um, but next up we have Wolves Villa. Um, Villa on the mad. Well, we're on the mad run. Um, before losing to Man United, but that can happen. Man United's home record's obviously very good. But Villa do have some key injuries. Um, Bubakar Kamara is probably one of probably their most important midfielder mm. to me. Matty Cash 
probably wasn't a starter anyway, but Ashley Young is 200 years old and would like to be rotated at some point. <laughs> uh, and Leon Bailey, albeit very, very up and down, um, he is a starter for them. And Coutinho, who kind of did just about become a footballer again, then got injured. So they are missing a few options there. Maybe running on fumes a bit because people like Bertrand Traore aren't the best player in the world. Well, Big Bertie T isn't isn't aware of whether he's is or isn't the best footballer in the world. He just knows he's the best Bertrand Traore in the world, and that's all that really matters in the world of Bertrand Traore. So don't you dare dismiss the Bertrand Traoreness of Bertrand, the Bertrand Traoreness of Bertrand Traore. Um, yeah, be Leon Bailey. I would say it would be absolute murder supporting a club that has him playing because he's so frustrating. There's no doubting the talent. When he's on form, he is absolutely electric. That happens about once a month and not even for a full game. He'll have about 40 minutes in a game where he's just unplayable and then he'll be crap for three weeks and then he'll get injured. Um, Kamara is the big one, obviously, and they, they've missed him a fair bit this season when he hasn't been there. When he has played, they look they look so good. He's such a good player. I can't believe they got him for free. It remains a scandal that our club sat on their hands and allowed him to go there for free when they'd watched him for two years. I think Villa win this game, though. I know they are running out of steam, but I do think the carrot of Europe will drive them forward. You've got a Wolves team with no Chiquinho, no Kalasic, no Bubakar Traore, and we'll wait and see on Nelson Semedo. I think it's probably doubtful that he plays. Wolves are at home and probably need maybe one more point just yeah. to be absolutely sure that they're okay. But I don't think they get it here. I think they lose here. I think they'll beat Everton, which will confirm them in the league next season. Mm-hmm. And I think they know they've got that Everton game in a couple of weeks. So, like, that's kind of where they'll, they'll be looking and thinking that's three points. We're getting three points there. Um, I'm going to back Villa to win. I'm going to go. I don't think it'll be a high scoring game. You've got Villa, who've only scored 46 goals this season. And Wolves only scored 29, which is the third worst in the division. Um, only Southampton's 28. They don't even have a real striker. And Everton's 27 can better the or, uh, better being the wrong word, but you know what I mean. The 29 Chelsea, by Chelsea 31. <laughs> Chelsea on 31 is magnificent. Um, oh and Forrest in there on 30. There's your bottom five attacks in the league. Wonderful stuff. I'm going to go for a 1-0 Aston Villa win in, in what I think will be quite a dull game of football. Yeah, maybe maybe Wolves bounce back after their tonking as well, but that was not a pretty game um, for them. Uh, moving on to the late kickoff, this one's at half five, just for the weird schedule. Uh, Liverpool against Brentford, Dave, obviously... Liverpool, if you just look at paper, are the second form team in the country at the minute, or in the Premier League, I should say, with five wins and five. I'm sure it's longer than that, but the Premier League website only does five. But you, you, you look at the performances and it's it's not there yet. But results are results. And Brentford, let's just have a little looky. Two wins on the bounce. Um, mm. uh 
bit dodgy before that, but a draw with Villa, that's a good result. So they're still kind of just chugging along either way. They can still get Europe as well, obviously. But we've seen Liverpool still have frailty in defence, even with the good results. And we know um, Ivan Tony, but probably in terms of taking advantage of, of the Trent in midfield thing, your Shardes, your Embuemos, your Wissa, who seems to love scoring against us as well. Yeah. Um, it It's an interesting game, and I have no idea what the result will be. It, this is a tough match for Liverpool. Like, if you look at the teams Liverpool have played in this five-game run, they beat Leeds, who are garbage and potentially going down. They beat Forest, who are garbage and potentially going down. They scraped past them. They beat West Ham, who are garbage and could potentially go down. They beat Spurs, who are a train wreck, and almost bottled that one. And, and like, let's be honest, the West Ham game was a slog as well. And then they beat Fulham, who are on the beach and have lost seven of nine. And it was a slog. So you're looking at the last four games. They've won all of them by one goal. They've been they've had some good fortune in each of them. But they are winning. And winning is what matters. And there are spells in games where Liverpool look really good. The first 15 minutes against Spurs, they looked unbelievable. The first 15 minutes against Fulham were pretty good. They had a couple of flashes in the Forest game that looked good. Against Leeds, the first half was poor. They went in 2-0 up based on counterattacks, based on mistakes that Leeds make or Leeds made. Leeds got a goal back, but Liverpool, for probably 20 minutes then, were really good and scored three goals and put the game to bed. So they are capable in flashes, but Brentford are a better team than any of those they've played, bar Spurs, and are better organised than any of those they've played, bar maybe Fulham. Probably about the same level as, as Fulham. And Fulham made it very difficult for Liverpool. The schedule worked well for Liverpool, though. This is the third home game in a row. And they've obviously got another one to come. But only, you know, so, so that's been favourable to them as well. Getting three home games in a row. Four home games out of five. That has helped. Because the home form has been good this season. The away form was where the issue was. But Brentford will come to Anfield thinking they can get something. They've played well against Liverpool since they've come up. They obviously beat them quite comprehensively earlier this season. Ivan Tony is a menace. Those wide players are rapid. They're very organised and hardworking in midfield. They're organised the back. But individually, the quality of the back is not really there at centre-back. So that's where Liverpool can maybe exploit them. But I, I feel like a draw is likely here. I don't think this Liverpool team is capable of winning six in a row. I'd love to be wrong. I hope I am wrong. But I'm going to go for a draw. I'll go 2-2. Yeah, it could be. Well, for the neutral, I think it'll be a fun game. So. Same, same. It'll definitely, yeah, it'll I definitely be a fun game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to Sunday then, just the two games on a weird Super Sunday. Uh, so the first game's at half four UK time. Uh, Newcastle against Arsenal Day, probably the biggest of the weekend. Um, obviously, Newcastle, let's just have a double checky, probably... Two wins? Two wins and a couple draws from confirming Champions League, you'd think? Well, I think Liverpool can get to 71, can't we? So two, two, two wins two, two and a wins. draw, and Newcastle yeah. are there. 
Yeah. Two wins probably gets them there because they've got a plus 10 goal difference yeah, over, yeah. over Liverpool. So two wins probably gets them there, and I think they win this one. Mm. Now, going into the game, Newcastle, no Lachelles, he doesn't play anyway. No Kraft, wouldn't play anyway. St. Maximum looks like he's back. Longstaff looks like he'll be back. Ryan Fraser's not involved the first team anymore. Uh, for Arsenal, no Tomiyasu. Fitness out over Gabriel. Elneny out, Saliba out. If Gabriel is out, they're in trouble. Ooh. Because that means it's going to be Kiwar, and, who, who did pretty well against Chelsea despite having nothing to do. Um, it's going to be him and Rob Holding, and Rob Holding has not been particularly good. So I don't think Arsenal will win. The, will, will get anything here. Last season, Arsenal went to St. James's to face a significantly worse Newcastle with top four in hand and threw it away. And I think this is this is going to repeat itself. Now, the title, I think, has slipped from them anyway. But if City beat Leeds and Arsenal lose to Newcastle, then it's a four-point gap. City have a game in hand and Arsenal only have three games left. It's over at that point. I'm going to back Newcastle to win here. They're they're in better form than Arsenal. Their home form has been absolutely tremendous this year. They're the best defensive side in the league. And while I'm on that topic, I saw a conversation yesterday on Twitter about a team of the season. Henry Jackson tweeted his team this season. And I agreed with a lot of it. And I liked that he had three Newcastle players in it. Because, quite frankly, if I see a team of the season that doesn't have Sven Botman in goal, sorry, Sven Botman at centre-back and Bruno Gomeric in midfield, I'm just going to to believe that you haven't watched any football this season. If you've got Lissandro Martinez in ahead of Botman, you're a United fan that hasn't watched anything else. If you're a Newcastle fan that has Gabriel in over Botman, you haven't watched enough football. If you've got anybody other than Botman plus one, and it could be Botman plus Gabriel, and that's fine. I could deal with that, although you won't like it because there's two lefties. But Sven Botman is undeniably one of the two best centre-backs in the league this season. And it really annoys me that when City signed Ruben Diaz and he made a marginal improvement in their defensive record, Jamie Carragher shilled for him to win Footballer of the Year, which was a farce. He wasn't even one of the three best City players that season. It was a joke that that type of propaganda took place. Botman has had a much bigger impact on Newcastle than Diaz had on City, and yet I haven't heard one word from the mainstream media about the impact of Botman. In midfield... If Bruno Gomeric is not in your midfield, again, I'm just going to assume you haven't watched any football this year. Because not only should he be in the team of the season, he should be unanimously on everybody's top five list for footballer of the year. He has been incredible for Newcastle. 
game after game after game. And I, I understand that Erling Haaland is probably going to win Football of the Year because goals. <clears throat> but Erling Haaland has had a lot, and I do mean a lot, of really poor games this season. Including games he scored in. And with Haaland, if he doesn't score, he doesn't really offer anything else. Bruno Gomerich has had maybe two poor games this season. Otherwise, he's 8 out of 10 every single week. I think Kieran Trippier has been the best right back in the league this year. I think it's kind of by default because Trent has had a poor year and Reese James has been injury prone and he's had a poor year. And there's not many other really good right backs in the league. But to give Kieran Trippier his credit, he has been consistently good. And consistently good is good enough this year to get into my team of the year. The only other real option there would be Ben White. I don't think he's been as consistent or as good. But Gamerish and Botman have to be in your team of the year. Or your team of the year is basically invalid. And the last thing here is Nick Pope. I saw a clip of a conversation between three fellas for, I think, 888 betting who produce, you know, random football content or whatever to promote their product. That's fine. And one of them tried to make the argument that, uh, that Aaron Ramsdale had been the best keeper in the league this season. Now, Look, Aaron Ramsdale has had a decent season. No question. A decent season. Alison Becker is the best goalkeeper in the league and has been the best goalkeeper in the league again this year. Alison should be up for player of the year. Just exactly. <laughs> if it wasn't for Alison, Liverpool would be slumming it with Chelsea right now. But if you're not going to put in Alison because Liverpool haven't had a good season by Liverpool standards, despite the fact that he has been otherworldly, and you're insisting on putting in a top four goalkeeper. Aaron Ramsdale is third on the list of goalkeepers you can pick. And he is a distant third. And Edison is a distant second. Nick Pope of the top four teams in the league. Nick Pope has been by far and away the best goalkeeper in that group. And after Allison, and I would argue... Emi Martinez has had a really good year and only conceded three goals less than Ramsey, by the way. I would argue Burnt Leno has had an outstanding year. I think David Rea has had a very good year. I know he's the brunt of a lot of jokes, but Kepa has quietly put together a very good season as well and has conceded less goals than Aaron Ramsdale. Any of them, any of them, would be in over Aaron Ramsdale for me. The idea and the arrogance with which it was said that if Liverpool had Ramsdale, they'd still be in the same position they're in now. No, they wouldn't. He is worse than Alisson at everything. They tried to claim his distribution was better than Alisson, <laughs> which is a joke. Alisson's distribution is second in the world only to Ederson. Simple as that. And Alisson is the best goalkeeper on the planet right now and has been all season. He's been unbelievably good. And for a Liverpool backline with Trent out of form most of the season, 
Ibu injured for a big chunk of the season. Matip out of form. Gomez out of form. So generally a hole at one centre-back place. Virgil having the worst season he's had since probably pre-Celtic, maybe. Gronigan. <laughs> Gronigan, probably. Yeah, like literally. That's how bad he's been by his standards. Now, again, he's been better than a lot of other centre-backs. But by his standards, he's been poor. Andy Robertson has been poor. And Liverpool's midfield has been a disaster. And yet, Liverpool have only conceded three goals more than Arsenal. And that is entirely down to Alisson Becker. But Nick Pope has conceded 12 goals less than Aaron Ramsdale. In a Newcastle team that's not nearly as talented as the Arsenal team. Nick Pope should be England's number one, is currently England's best goalkeeper... And if he's being dismissed, and those 888 crowd put out a poll where they listed four options for goalkeeper of the year, Ramsdale shouldn't be in the top four. Ederson, I wouldn't have him in my top four for the season, but he has had a good season. And David De Gea, who has been dreadful. Dreadful. But by the way, he's only conceded one goal less than Aaron Ramsdale. I say one goal more than Aaron Ramsdale. Like, Nick Pope wasn't even mentioned, wasn't even brought up in the conversation. The disrespect of Newcastle and the continued overlooking of their players needs to stop. They're third in the league. They deserve to be third in the league. They've only lost four times. That's the same number as Arsenal, the same number as City. And if they beat Arsenal this weekend, it'll be one less than Arsenal. And when you look at how they've conceded goals, City put three by them early in the season when we didn't really know what to expect from Newcastle. Liverpool scored two on them. No other team scored more than one through the first 22 games of their season. Then Liverpool scored two on them. And City scored two on them in back-to-back games. And Aston Villa put three past them at Villa Park there a few weeks ago. So you've got a team here that have only conceded more than one goal in five Premier League games so far. And only conceded more than two twice. That is outrageously good. Their home form has been brilliant, and this is why I think they beat Arsenal. They've only lost once at home. That was to Liverpool. Ten wins, five draws, only conceded 11 goals at home. I think Newcastle will beat Arsenal. I'm going to go for 3-1 Newcastle win. do wonder where they'd be if Isaac had had this form from the start. If he popped early and stayed fit early, I think they could potentially have challenged for the title because... Mm. The big problem for them was these long spells of draws. You know, the first seven games of the season, they drew five of them. And only in one of them did they score more than one goal. Then, coming back off the World Cup break, they beat Leicester 3-0. And then they go and draw five of six again and don't score more than one goal in any of them. And have three games there where they don't score at all. Three, four, five, six. Six times this season Newcastle have failed to score. 
if Isak had been fit and showing the form he showed lately, I, I think they win probably four of those games. Yeah, probably four of those games. And you look at recently, they've scored two or more goals in seven of their last eight games. Sorry, eight of their last nine games. Two or more goals. And that's against some some decent enough teams as well and some teams in form. They hammered United, destroyed them. Should have beaten them five or six. They put six past Spurs. They've just they went went to West Ham and put five by them. Scored two against Brentford down at Brentford. They've been in great form. Arsenal are not in good form. I know they beat Chelsea. Everybody beats Chelsea. I think Newcastle will beat will beat Arsenal. I'm going to go two 0 No, I'm going to go three one. Three one. Yep, should be a fun game either way. We are going along, so we'll go through some of these a bit quickly. West Ham against Man United, Dave. Uh, obviously, Man United's away record's not as good as their um, home form, obviously. Uh, West Ham, three losses on the bounce after a little bit of, well, a turnaround for sure. But three losses in a row, United probably want to bounce back after that um, last-min penalty last night. I think United should win this. Yeah, they should. They should. And I do uh, I do think United will win this game. Uh, but they've got a lot of injuries. No Martinez, no Van de Beek, no McTominay, no Varane, no Garnacho, no Heaton, no Jones, no Greenwood. West Ham, though, have picked up a bunch of um a bunch of issues here. So Skamak is out for the season, Zoom is out. They've got three players ill and facing fitness tests, Suchek, Agard, and Rice, who all missed the midweek game. Uh, Soufal is out. So, you know, they're they're a bit thin there now with, with those injury or those injuries and illnesses. I, I assume the players that are, are sick will be back. Um I do wonder what the knock on effect of losing a game to a last minute penalty is, so we'll see. But I do think United will win the game. Their away form hasn't been good. But they've largely beaten the bad teams away from home or gotten a result anyway. So I'll go 2-1 to United. Manchester United, obviously, not yes. West Ham United. Uh, on to Monday, then, we have Fulham against Leicester. Leicester, I actually can't remember how they've done since I've been away. They're out the relegation zone. It kind of worked. Drawing the last couple of games and games, they probably could have confirmed their Premier League status, but at least they didn't lose them, I suppose, which they probably would have under Brendan. Um, big win against Wolves a few games ago as well. Um, and Fulham, three losses on the bounce. Tougher game against, well, let's be fair, Villa, City, Liverpool. Three of the toughest games you could probably get in the league, to be fair. Mm. Um, it's a good opportunity for Leicester, you'd say, but Fulham, it just depends if they turn up, I suppose. That's basically what it comes down to. I mean, Fulham, no Pereira, no Ream, no Kurzawa. They're probably all done for the season. Mitrovic, I think this is his last game on the suspension. He should be back next weekend. Um, So it is a good opportunity for Leicester, with Fulham having lost seven of nine. They are very much on the beach. Very, very much on the beach. Um, But at the same time, they're too well coached, and I think a bit too too proud to just roll over. And they're at home, so... You know, I think they'll want to. I think they'll want to put on a bit of a show. Um, Leicester, no Justin, no Ianacho, no uh, Barbosa could be back. Ricardo Pereira, Barbosa, that is. 
Johnny Evans could be back, but I mean, we've been hearing that since October. Yannick oh, Vestager. Last season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, he's barely played. Yannick Vestager is done for the season. I don't think Ryan Bertrand will play for the club. Um, this is a big opportunity for Leicester, given the form. I'll go for a draw. I'll go 1-1. I think it'll be a fairly dull game. I think Fulham could win the game, but I'll go for the draw. I'll go 1-1. Uh, Brighton against Everton, Dave. I'm gonna guess comfortable. <laughs> yeah, comfortable, comfortable win here for Brighton. Uh, going into the game, no Lalana, no Veltman, but Ferguson could be back. Grouse could be back. Motor, Sarmiento, and Lamptey are probably all not going to play again this season. But Everton are a mess, and no Coleman, no Townsend, no Venegra, no Godfrey. Form in the toilet. They've lost three of five. Very, very fortunate to get um, the two points they have gotten because uh, Leicester should have beaten them. They missed the penalty. Um, they got a draw with Palace when they went down to 10 men. They haven't been good away from home. Mm. Uh, they haven't won away from home. I can't remember the last time they won away from home. Everton's last win away from home. Have they have they won? They have to have won one game away from home, surely this season. Let me pull up their full list of fixtures there. Uh, competition. They've won one away game this. One season. away game, which was away to Southampton back in October. Of course, it was. <laughs> That's their last away win, and they have won uh, four games since that. That was the first of October. They've won four games since then, all of them at home. The, the one that stands out is the win over Arsenal. That's just yeah. such a freak result for them. Um, Brighton are too good. Brighton will beat them. Brighton will beat them. I'm going to go 3-0. Three, three uh, now, probably the most important game, yeah, I'd say so, is the relegation six-pointer. Um, I'm guessing you'd agree with me that Southampton are down. Even if they win this game, they, they won't win many more to stay up. Well, yeah. if, if Forest lose this game, you'd have to think they're on the verge of joining Southampton because I don't know what their fixtures are, but if you don't beat Southampton away from home, when your home form is the only reason you're still in the division, um, yeah, that, I think that's almost fatal. Yeah, I fully agree. I, I think Forest have to win this game. Um, I think if Saints win this game, they're still likely to go down. Uh, Saints away form though has actually been better than their home form this year they've won four and drawn two as opposed to two wins and four draws at home Uh, the teams they've beaten they beat Chelsea they beat Everton they beat Bournemouth and they beat Leicester away from home so they have beaten a lot of the draws away from home but Forrest need a win now Forrest should have won last weekend only Steve Cooper's in-game management was so poor Going into the game, Forrest will have the most injuries in the league, of course. Biancone out, Henderson, Wood, McKenna and Bolly all out. Scarpa, Colbeck, Shelby, all major doubts. Danilo and Brennan Johnson facing late fitness tests. Omar Richards and Nico Williams both out and unlikely to play again this season. Uh, Southampton, they've got five injuries of their own. Perot is out. Uh, Onoachu is back but he hasn't done anything since he joined. Um, Salisu, they're claiming it's a pelvic injury, 
But there's been reports that it's basically that he's just not at all committed. He he wants to leave. He thinks they're not good enough for him, which is a bit of a strange take to take, having played as badly as he has this season. I think he's a really promising young defender, but his attitude seems to stink. Um, he had a weird thing with Garner as well, didn't he? Yeah, where he didn't want to play for them until he felt they were good enough to, to deserve his talents. He's um, going to enjoy a uh, mid-table La Liga team. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where he's going to end up back the next season. I could see him. Go- he might end up at Villarreal. Um, they're probably going to sell Pau Torres. They'll want a lefty centre-back. He, he might make sense there. Um, Juan Larios is out. Livermento's not fit yet, but he has, has been playing for the B team, which is good. So it's nice to see him at least kicking the ball again. I'm going to go for a Forest win. Uh, this is, to me, the most important game of the season. But as you said or the most important game of the weekend, as you said, Forest have to win. Saints have to win as well, but it probably still won't be enough. But for Forest, if they can win here, I've got Leicester drawing and Leeds losing and Everton losing. I think that puts Forest in a really strong position then. They'll have a two-point gap on Leeds and Leicester and a four-point gap on Everton. And they'd only be a point behind West Ham. If we look at the remaining games after this, Everton have City, who we'd expect to hammer them. And I think they'll lose at Wolves. And then it's Bournemouth on the final day. So I have West, I have Everton getting to 32 points, which means that a win this weekend should put Forest above Everton come the end of the season. Then if we look at the fixtures of uh, Leeds, theirs are horrible after this. Newcastle, away to West Ham, home to Spurs. Maybe they get a point at home to Spurs in the final day, but I think Newcastle beat them and I think West Ham beat them. So that's 31 points. That will mean that Forrest would be safe with this win. Uh, It would also mean that Leicester are safe, obviously, I have Leicester taking a point this weekend. They've got a better goal difference than Leeds, so that would keep them up. Their t- last three are tough, though. They go Liverpool home, Newcastle away, West Ham home. I think they can beat West Ham on the final day. So that would keep them up on 34 points. And Forrest's last three, Chelsea away, so probably a win. He's uh, <laughs> then home to Arsenal, and then they get Palace away. Maybe a point there, maybe a point at the bridge. If they beat Southampton, I think 35 points is realistic for them, which will keep them in the division. So, But you've got to win this game. This is must win, and I'm going to back them to win. I'll say 2-0 to Forrest. And that's the last game? That's the last game, and that's the second exceptionally long two-footed podcast in a row. Uh, you'll note I had them down to in and around the tight hour in the absence of Mr. Drinkle, but as with AI scouted, his return has led to these longer podcasts. I so give, I give better, longer content for the people. There you go. There you go. Listen to this in parts. Um, right. That's us done. We will not be here Monday because it's the bank. Or do you want to do Monday guy? Will we do? We might as well do Monday. I'll do Monday. I might not be here Tuesday. I'll let you know on Monday, but I'll be here Monday and we will see. I, Bank holidays in the UK tend to torpedo the numbers, but we'll have a go at it anyway and see what happens. We'll be here Monday. I might be by myself. Guy, 
Guy will be back with me Wednesday for certain. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll be there. I have no else to do. <laughs> yeah, true enough. You're not exactly going out to wave your flags. Um, but yeah, Tuesday, I will let you know on Monday. So take care of yourselves. Have a good weekend. And remember, you can stick your coronation up your arse. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.